0: incredible love for those that you created us thank you for the desire that you have to restore our relationship with you you desired it so much that you were willing to send your son jesus to make it so that I could be right with you, so I could have fellowship with you, so that I could be forgiven. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit and the way that you guide and you direct and you lead us, the way that you draw us to yourself by your spirit. Thank you that in this moment, your spirit is at work in our hearts, reaching out to us in our need. Thank you that you understand every need that is represented in this room this morning. There's no one that is missed by you. Now, Father, in the next few moments, as we open your word, we pray that we would hear from you that your spirit would teach us truth. And because of what we learn, we would be better servants of Jesus Christ, be better children of God, that we would make a difference for your kingdom in this place, in the Oxford Hills where we live. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, you could have a seat. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. We've been studying together or started studying together the book of 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy has a lot of very interesting things in it in terms of the church and how the church should function. And we're going to continue that study this morning. And uh, as we get ready to look at this passage that's before us this morning, how many of you think that our world is a bit crazy? Okay. As you look around, it's it's strange, and I, I I'm not going to get into all the strangeness of our world, but you don't have to look very far to see things that are really out of whack, <laughs> really out of kilter, just just very strange. And often the honest truth is is that the strangeness isn't just found out there; it's found. In the church. And to make it a little more personal than just generically saying that the strangeness is found in the church, if we were to take a really close look at our own lives, often we would find that the strangeness has affected even us. Say, like, great, I came to church and Tim tells me I'm strange. It's okay, I am too, okay? we're all struggling in our strangeness. And often our strangeness is in direct proportion to our understanding of truth or our unwillingness to understand and apply truth. And often for us, there are things that we read, things that we study in the Word of God that we think, hey, that's kind of cool, or wow, that would be really neat. But taking the step of taking the truth and then applying it to life is often fairly difficult. And sometimes it is because of our culture. Sometimes it is because of where we find ourselves. Sometimes it is because of where our hearts are. Sometimes it is simply because we don't understand. The passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today is one of those passages that can be seen as fairly controversial. I don't think it really is, but it can be. We're looking this morning at life in the church and filling our God-given roles. In our culture and the days that we are living in, a lot of people are trying to blur the lines of gender and responsibility. This passage that we're going to read, this passage of Scripture, may not be all that popular in our society. It can be and has been used inappropriately. It can be seen by some to be unfair or oppressive to women. It is not. When taken in the spirit with which it was written and in the light of the fact that the Holy Spirit directed its writing, we know from Hebrews, right, that all scripture was given by God, it was inspired by God, he inspired the men of God to write the words that he wanted on the page. The spirit was present and part of creation of the very people he is writing about. We know from Genesis that the Godhead as a whole were part of of all of creation, the creation of us. And because the Spirit was part and God was very specific in how he created, that tells me that he made no mistake when he penned these words. Instead, I believe that the opposite is true. These words were written for the freedom and the benefit of men and women and the body of Christ as a whole. This passage of Scripture has a great deal of information in it. And I know that in the next 20 minutes that I have, that there is no way possible that I can cover everything that is in this passage of Scripture. I know that. So at the end of this, please, don't come and say, Tim, you forgot, okay? Okay. I'm telling you from the front side, this could be a very long discussion, all right, if we have the time. I want to hit a few highlights that are covered in this passage of Scripture. Remember, we are answering this question. We're answering this question every week as we get together and we study this. What should we be doing as a church? That is what we are answering. What should we be doing as a church? So, if you have your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to start reading at verse 8. When I'm reading verse 8, I want you to think about if you were with us last week with what Pastor Mike uh, shared, I want you to put those thoughts together. I'll help you with that in just a minute. But I'm going to start reading at verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works as is proper for a woman who, who, who professes to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. A lot in there, is there not? Okay. Just so you know, that last verse is not saying that if you have children, you're saved. Okay? Just take that right off the table. That is not what that is saying. Just in case you were going what? Okay. All right. There's a lot in this, so I want to jump right into verse 8. If you have your Bible, look at verse 8. The beginning of verse 8, what's the first word that you see in verse 8? What is it? Well, it depends on the translation, okay? (laughs) Therefore, all right? Therefore is the first word that is in, in this passage. Anybody know what that's there for? Okay, I got your attention. Whenever you see the word therefore, it means this. Look at the previous verses. See what was said before. Because he's saying this, therefore, in light of what I just taught you. All right? And I want you to get that. Pastor Mike last week spent verses 1 through 7. He talked about 1 through 7 all last week. And in 1-7, through he talked about this, that our prayer as Christ followers is for folks who don't know Christ yet to be able to come to know Christ, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the prayer. That is the desire of God for us, is to pray for folks who are a long way from God, that don't know God, and he says this in those passages, as, we, as Mike was reading those last week, it's this, that we're to pray, and it doesn't matter people's station in life, in other words, it doesn't matter where they fit on an, on an economic continuum or, or a social continuum, it doesn't matter who they are, we're to pray for all people everywhere, all right, that they would have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility as Christ followers. And he says, therefore, because that is your prayer, because you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are praying for everyone to come to know Jesus Christ, here are a couple of guidelines that I want to give you as you pray. That's what verse 8 is. They're the guidelines for praying for those people who are a long way from God. So guideline number one that he gives them in this, this passage is this. He says, I want you to pray lifting up holy hands. So does that mean that every time we pray, we should be lifting our hands up? No, that's not what it means. What it means, and immediately this group of people who were Jews, the Jews that were among this, this group of believers that Paul is writing to through Timothy, would immediately, as soon as they heard the words, lifting up holy hands, they would have gone all the way back to Exodus. And they would have known this immediately. God told the priests in Exodus, specifically Aaron and his sons, because it's the beginning of the the line of priests, He told him this, before you come into my presence to talk to me, you need to wash your hands. There'll be a bowl of water that's outside the presence of God, and you need to come to that bowl of water, and you need to wash your hands, and actually it says this, wash your hands and your feet. And the idea was the symbolism of being clean as you come before God. And actually, he went this far when he told him this in Exodus. He said, I want you to wash your hands and your feet. And if you don't and you step into my presence, I will kill you. Wow. Kind of important, isn't it? And so we jump all the way up here now to this book of First Timothy, and Paul says to these believers, he says, I want you to pray for folks who are a long way from God so that they would understand what a relationship with God is like, and I want you to pray lifting up clean hands, holy hands to God. In other words, I want you to check your heart. I want to make sure that you understand what's going on inside of you and that your life is clean before God. And he goes on there and he says this, that there's no anger or argument inside of you. James said it this way in James chapter 4, verse 8. He said this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How often are you double-minded? I think it happens to us more than we think. Where out of one side of our mouth, we're saying, oh, I want to honor God, I want to I praise God, I want God to be pleased with how I'm living and what I'm doing, but out of the other side of my mouth, I'm criticizing and cursing and, and, and putting people down and picking people apart. And so Paul looks at Timothy and he says, look, I want you to pray for those who are far from God, but I want you to do it with a clean heart. Because if my heart is not clean, scripture tells me that God doesn't hear. He hears, but he chooses not to listen. I don't know how that all works. He's God. And so Paul looks at this group of people and says, Look, if you're going to pray for folks who are a long way from God, check your heart, do a heart check, holy hands. Hey, folks, how often when you come before God are your hands holy? When you pray, have you taken a little bit of time to make sure that your heart's right? That's why Jesus, when the disciples said, hey, how should we pray? Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, hey, forgive those. Right? When you pray, pray for their forgiveness the same way that I have forgiven you. So verse eight, therefore, if you're praying, if you're doing what I asked you, because I asked you to do that, because it's your responsibility as a Christ follower to pray for those who are a long way for God, from God, therefore, make sure your heart's clean, guys. This is for the men. Men, men, make sure your heart's clean. Do a heart check. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others without anger or argument. David said it this way in the psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Test me. Check it out. Well, that jumps right into verse 9 if you're looking at that passage of Scripture. And he says the next word there is this. Also at the beginning of verse 9. Therefore, in light of the passage we just studied, men pray with clean hearts, also women. Now, he's putting these two thoughts together, and he's saying this, women, I need you also to come with a pure heart. He's not saying you can't come before God. He's not saying you can't pray. That's not what this is about. He's saying this, the same way that men need to have a pure heart, I need you to come with a pure heart. And he gives this instruction. He says, also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing. And he gives a list of characteristics that are modest and decent when you come before God also in the same manner with a clean heart. He gives a list of outward characteristics. Why? Because women are more vain than men? No. Don't go out of here saying, Tim said women are more vain. I did not. The outward appearance affects all of us, folks. There are men who are equally as worried about their outward appearance. But let's remember the context that this is written. Remember a couple things. First, in the context that this is written, remember that most of the folks here that are worshiping in this little church are saved out of idol worship. Remember that the city that they're living in, they worshiped the goddess of sex. It was a very immoral society. Women were seen as an object False teachers were at this point mixing old beliefs with a small amount of truth and bringing them together and trying to get people to to live under the bondage of a false truth. So Paul tells them, look, gals, your value is not found in what you wear. Your value is not an external appearance. It's not how people see you. That is not where your value is found. He's not saying, don't care for yourself, be a slob. He's not saying that either. He's he's talking about not dressing to become the attraction. Don't do it. He's talking about coming before God with character. He's talking about developing the character of who you are so that when you worship God, once again, you're worshiping God out of a, pure heart that's why he ends this but with good works as is proper for a woman who who professes to worship God both male and female in verses 8 and 9 are asked to do a heart check pump the brakes a little on your life for a minute stop and see what's going on the inside heart check Guys, check your heart. Gals, check your heart. Why do you do what you do? Why do you become, come before God the way that you come before God? Check your heart. And then we jump in to this next little lump of verses. They're so fun. Verses 11 to 15. Let me give you context again before we jump into these verses. When God created Adam and Eve, he made male and female. There is no question about that. He gave them very distinct roles. If you look at the, new, at, at the Old Testament in Genesis, you will find that the man was created as the provider or leader, the female as the nurturer or completer. Genesis 2, it is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper corresponding to him, a completer, equal in value, different in role. In these roles, they would affirm and complement one another. That is how God created man and woman. In the time of creation, these roles were created in perfection. And when done the way God created, they would make a valuable team that worked together for the glory of God. But because of sin, there was a curse given. For the woman, she will desire the man's place, and he will rule over her. Childbirth will be difficult. Women, that means that when you give in to sin, you will use your attractiveness to exploit men's weakness. It's called lust for men. Men, you will struggle to make a living. That's what chapter 3 of Genesis says. I believe that this is far-reaching effects. I think that work will not only be hard, but it it will not always be fulfilling. Men, you will be distracted by your responsibilities, and because of it, you will not be the leader that God has asked you to be in your home, because you'll be pulled away to your work. Men, you will give in to sin, and when you do, you will use your work and your physical strength to exploit and control women. That's what happens when it is used inappropriately. Inappropriately. I don't really care how much our society tries to say that there is no difference between men and women. There is. We don't see the world the same. Our drive is different. God created us different for a reason. He created us different for his glory and to bring glory to him. God created us as men and women to fill different roles. And that matters. It matters a lot. So let's talk about those roles as we look at these verses. Let me let me start right with verse ten. Actually, let's let's jump into verse eleven. I'm ahead of myself. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. Now I have to stop immediately as we start looking at this because there are those who have said silently. That is not what this verse says. Paul says twice in the next. Few verses, the word to be quiet or to learn quietly. It's the same word that's used up in verse 2, okay, that we talked about last week, where Paul says this so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. The idea of being quiet here is this it's to be at peace with. That's the idea. And he says, look, I want you to come into the, to the, the body of believers and I want you to be at peace. I don't want there to be chaos in the church. Now think about it from this angle. Here we have a group of ladies who have come to know Jesus Christ. They're in a body of believers. Think about this for a minute. Their worship up to this point, when they worship idols, when they, when they worship in the temples, has been very exploitive. They come in to the body of believers where they're coming to know Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, there's a freedom they've never experienced before. They have a voice now. They never had a voice. Now they have an opportunity to to fulfill an equal role in the body that they never experienced before. And so Paul gives this warning. He says, look, don't use that beyond the way God designed it. God designed it that we would learn quietly, in order, peaceably, and in control. And that's what he's saying to this group of people. I want you to learn. I want you to learn quietly. I want you to be at peace with one another. And then he uses the word that we hate, the S word you know what I mean by the S word? It's right there. What is it? <laughs> in submission. Often when we see the S word, submission, we think, we think of oppression. We think of somebody lording it over, don't we? We think of a doormat. We think of someone who is, who is in control of, and that's not what this means at all. This means yielding our roles to one another. That's what it means. It means saying yes to the way that God created us, the way he designed us. And when we do that, God uses us in amazing ways to build his church and for the glory of himself and the glory of his kingdom. Men, God has asked you to be a servant leader in your home. And if you are the servant leader that God has asked you to be, it is easier for your wife to submit to the role that God has asked her to play. If you're not, it's really hard. It's really difficult. Men, this means that you're not the king of your house. You're not. You're a servant in your house. You are the first to help out. You lead your wife and family by the way you do things, the way you live out your life, what you say. So be sure that your speech matches your action. Submission means that we yield to the role that God has given us. We fulfill our part that was assigned to us by God. He says in this passage, I don't allow women to teach or have authority over men. Back to role again. I believe this is speaking directly to the, the role of an elder in a church. The one who teaches the truths of the word of God. The one who gives the truth from God to the body. This is not saying that women can't teach. If you look at scripture, you'll find that throughout scripture, God used women to teach. He used them privately to teach. He used them to teach younger women. He used them to teach at different points. If you look at the whole of scripture... God uses men and women to fulfill the roles that he asked them to fulfill for the glory of his body. So what should we do as a church? Work together in our God-given roles to build his kingdom for his glory. When we step into the roles that God designed for us, we both, men and women, When we fill them to the best of our abilities, we become an irresistible community of grace that Tom was talking about earlier that makes room for the gifts of the body, that builds the kingdom of God and ultimately brings glory to God himself. So my question for you, not just is what will we do as a church, but what will you do as an individual? Will you submit to God? Not to some authority in the church. That's that's not it. Will you submit to God, men? Will you come before God with a clean heart, lifting up holy hands, praying for those who are lost, and fulfilling the role that he asked you to fulfill, to love your wife and your family as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? Will you fill that role? And gals, Will you also, with a clean heart, come before God and the church to serve the church and fill the role that God has ordained for you? If we will, if we will do that together as a team, God will use us to do incredible things in building His kingdom here in the Oxford Hills. We are one. One is not better than the other. God created us equally. As man and woman With specific roles For his glory So once again We're going to Walk out of this place And we've been Shared or we've looked at And we've read some truth That really In a lot of ways is Counter to the culture we live in Our culture is blurring Pretty much everything and saying it doesn't matter. But God, the one who created us, says it does. And you know what? I think he's right. I think a lot of the difficulty and the anxiety and the depression and the struggle that we face is because we've looked at God and said, you're wrong, I've got it figured out. So will you as a Christ follower lift up holy hands? Because you checked your heart. And there's no anger and there's no argument with God. Saying God, men and women alike, I submit. I submit to the role that you ordained for me. say yes use me Father would you grant us the courage to swim against the tide would you grant us the courage to say yes to your spirit would you help us to be an example of how incredible it can be when we live out the role that you designed for us God, we know we're going to struggle. We're sinful by nature, by heart. But by your spirit, you promise to change that. You promise to make us into the likeness of your son, and we, we claim that. Help us as a church body to live out our roles to the glory of Jesus Christ, our head. We'll praise you for how you use us. We'll praise you for the difference that you make. We want you to get the glory. We want your church and your kingdom to be built. In your name we pray, amen. God bless.